if you, uh, if you don't know me, my name is Alex Culpepper. I'm the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. It is a joy for me to be able to open up God's word with you. If you kind of don't know the pattern, we have a regular thing that we do on Sunday mornings, which is that we look to God's word together. We kind of dig into it. We discover what it has to show us. And so if you don't have a Bible with you, sometimes there are Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. But if that's not the case, you could also, we printed out the passage in today's bulletin. So uh, you could take the passage from in there and you could also follow along with us there. Uh, we're in the middle of a preaching series, a teaching series called Demonic Schemes. This is a seven-week series kind of built to give us grounding to discern the work of the forces of evil so that we are able to expose and resist the work of darkness so that we can know the ways that we ought to be praying. And just so you have an awareness, uh, our next prayer meeting is February 21st, right? So if you're like wondering, hey, when can I do that? February 21st, you can put it on your calendar, Wednesday, February 21st. Please come out to pray with us. So that we can know the kinds of solutions that we ought to be seeking to what is happening in this world and also so that we can understand whose power is actually needed for us to carry out the mission and the responsibility that Jesus has given to us. So uh, the first two weeks, uh, we kind of focused on the realm of ideas, right? We focused on the ideas created by demons, uh, a set of ideas intended to mislead and confuse and ultimately bring destruction out in the world. But then in the second week, we looked at ideas intended to mislead people who call themselves Christians, right? People in Jesus's church. And so then last week, Pastor Don came up and he talked to you about kind of the demonic influence of global culture, the powers in the world that, uh, that are seeking actually, as scripture tells us, to align themselves in order to enforce perspective and agenda on kind of a mass scale, right? So if you haven't caught any of that, I really encourage you to go back to our website, renovateus.org. You can look at our media page and figure out what's going on there, but this week we're going to consider something uh, much closer to home. We're going to talk about how demons use popular culture. So to get us started, I want to talk to you, I want you to consider something that you greatly take for granted. Right? You don't even think about this thing. You sleep and it's there. You wake up and it's there. Right? You don't have to do anything to get this, right? You can't uh, manipulate it. You can't move it around. And here's the other thing. Like, without it, you would literally be dead on the ground. Like, from the moment, it, it only takes a couple of hours from the moment you stop receiving this thing for your body to start deteriorating and decaying. And uh, on top of that, your blood... Your blood exists to carry this thing throughout the interior of your body so that your body has everything that it needs. This thing is perfectly composed in order to make your body function. Like, you don't even have to pay for it, at least for now anyway. And it is more necessary to your body than even food or water is. What am I talking about? Oxygen. Air. Right, you take it for granted. We take it for granted. Unless, of course, you found yourself on this flight. 
Uh, I don't know if you know about this story, but in early January, Alaska Airlines Flight 1282 ascended to 16,000 feet, and at that time, the emergency exit door was ripped off of the plane. And that led to a, a rapid depressurization of air inside of the cabin. It's like a vacuum, right? So the, air, the, the plane is flying so fast that the, the moment, and, and uh, the inside of the airplane, the plane is still inside the airplane. And so the moment that that door is ripped off of the airplane, a vacuum sucks all of the air outside of the plane. And the pressure inside the plane, the air pressure inside the plane drops almost instantaneously. So you know how like the, the flight attendants and the airplane, they always stand up there and they say, hey, if the masks drop down from the ceiling, make sure that you put your mask on first before you help your neighbor. There's a reason that they say that. Do you know why they say that? They say that because when the air pressure drops, the, the partial pressure of oxygen that is like in the plane is much lower than the pressure of oxygen in your lungs. And here's the thing. Your lungs were not designed to hold air pressure inside of your body. And so this is what happens. Your, the, your lungs equalize with the pressure that's outside, which means that the oxygen that is inside of your lungs rushes out of your body so that the air pressure can equalize to what's in the plane. Now add to this, I don't know if you know this, but your lungs are designed to transfer oxygen to your blood. That's, that's how they work. So when air pressure drops, that process goes in reverse. The, the oxygen transfers out of your blood into your lungs and out into the air. So like you might be thinking, okay, well, you know, I can hold my breath for like a minute right? Not in this situation, you can't. Like, because it's so instantaneous that it just escapes from you. So, uh, like, literally, every second that you would spend trying to breathe without a mask is, is taking ox oxygen out of your body. It's like literally fleeing your body. So, so uh, this is like a matter of moments before this thing, air, right, that you used to take for granted, is literally, like, not there anymore. It becomes deadly, to you. It's escaping your body. So, okay, we get, we get that, right? You understand. None of us ever stops to think, what if the air becomes unbreathable? Like, we don't walk around just wondering. Now, maybe if you have claustrophobia, I've had claustrophobia various times before, maybe you might begin to think that in certain moments, but in general, none of us stops to think, like, what do we do if the air just becomes unbreathable. It's there, right? It's just there. We take it for granted. Unless, of course, you have an experience where you realize that the air was not as reliable as you thought it was. So get this. Many, many biblical writers, they pick up on this idea of air, the air that we breathe, and they use it to illustrate a deeper reality about human experience. So Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 says this. Verse 1 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So the Apostle Paul, he's the person who wrote these words down for us. He wrote most of the New Testament. He is writing to a church in a place called Ephesus. And he is using 
the image of the air that we breathe to illustrate a reality of human experience. And the reason we know this is because right after he uses the word air, he uses the word spirit. Now, uh, I'm just going to give you a little language lesson. That word spirit, it has a few different uh, words. The, the Greek word that it comes from is pneuma. We get our word pneumatic from it. Things that are powered by air. Right? So, so this word pneuma can be the word breath. It can be the word wind. It can be translated as the animating personality. It could be translated uh, referring to angels or referring to demons. It could be translated referring to the Holy Spirit and often is translated referring to the Holy Spirit. Think of it like this. Pneuma is like the wind beneath my wings. Right? It's the thing that carries me along, the thing that empowers me to go where I need to go. So like uh, uh, mechanics uh, do like you have uh, impact wrenches and the best kinds of impact wrenches are pneumatic impact wrenches, right? They, uh, they get their power from the air, right? So that you get an air compressor and that air compressor forces air through a hose and into the wrench and that air that is pushed into the wrench animates that wrench and makes it very powerful. Right, so the Apostle Paul here is picking up on a very biblical theme that many other biblical writers emphasize, and this is essentially what he says. He says this, human beings are pneumatic. Right, that is his understanding. As he writes these things down, he's thinking human beings are pneumatic. We run on breath or wind. We need something to animate us. See, we are able to operate based on the quality and the abundance of the air that we breathe. And and the kind of air that we breathe determines what it is that animates us, what it is that moves us into action. Now, this is quite literally true, right? Our physical body cannot live unless we have oxygen. It, It starts to die the moment that we lose oxygen. But that's not just a physical reality. Right. Ancient writers consider this like physical and spiritual enlivening to be of the same category. Which is why you read in Genesis 2.7, says, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Now on the surface, God certainly put oxygen into Adam's lungs. But we are not just meant to see the physical side of things. God's breath gave Adam true life. Physical and spiritual life. God's breath animated Adam as a whole person. Which makes me think that when God says, when he gives the warning about the tree and says, hey, don't eat of that tree. And on the day when you eat of that tree, you will surely die. That he's kind of saying, hey, Somebody might lie to you and tell you not to listen to me. And I want you to understand that if you listen to that person who lies to you, you will be breathing a different kind of air. Right? It is toxic. It kills. It brings death. Just like that airplane. Right? Every moment you try to breathe that air, it will deplete life from your body. So back to Ephesians 2 then. It says in verse 1, and you were dead 
and the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So Paul says, uh, you were dead. You had no spiritual life. You were cut off from a breath that brings life. Implication is, you are breathing an air that doesn't bring life. Like you, follower of Jesus, you once breathed air that perpetuated death inside of you. In other words, you could say it like this. You become what you breathe. You become what you breathe. If you breathe death, you become dead, right? Okay, so remember what we said earlier about air. Like you don't, you don't pay attention to it really. You don't have to think about it. It's just there. It's an assumed part of life. Paul is saying, hey, you know what? It's time to pay attention to the air that you're breathing. It's time to start recognizing what is going on with the air. So uh, this is what we're going to do. We're going to walk through these first two verses of Ephesians chapter 2, and we're just going to take it apart and discover what we can discover about this air. So uh, Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So... uh, he, this is what he says before he gets to talking about the air. But what we can draw from this is that death in sin is the result of breathing the air. Like the longer we breathe the air, the more we continue on in death, in our trespasses and sins. So right, that's not great, right? We understand that. But he says, you, you walked in these things. This was kind of like, you know, you were just walking around out there. And they, these things had no life in them. But get this, it says, uh, he elaborates a little further. He says, following the course of this world. Literally, it says, following the age of this world. Implication is, there is a pattern that has been laid out for all people throughout all of recorded history. And it is the only pattern that has ever existed. It's the same pattern repeated over and over and over again. And if you follow that pattern, it leads to death. So each of these statements, each one is a revelation of a deeper reality of what lies under the surface. Each statement clarifies the previous statement. So then buckle in for this clarification. When you are following the pattern of this world, you are following the prince of the power of the air, right? So this age, this pattern that we follow, it is what it is because of the air that we breathe. So um, anybody uh, on 59, Route 59 going north, uh, you get to Schaumburg Road. And uh, anybody ever notice it? It just smells terrible at that intersection. It's awful, like all the time. Like my wife and I are driving by and we smell it and then we instantly look at each other like, did you do that? Did you do that? No, no it's, it's the air there. It's the air. The air, there's something wrong with the air. And Paul says, hey, there's something wrong with the air and I'm going to tell you what's wrong. There is someone who has authority over that air, who has responsibility. He is the prince of it. He is in charge of it. There is a personality that rules that air, and it's not the Lord. Now, I don't know whether he's talking about Satan specifically here. I don't know if he's talking about another demon that might be specific to Ephesus. But he is talking about a sinister, demonic authority. And the point is, that ruler, that personality 
has some air tanks at their disposal. Right? And they are turning on the air tanks that accomplish their purposes. They are pumping all different kinds of toxic air into the atmosphere. And so then Paul goes a layer deeper and clarifies for us again. He says, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, the result of pumping this air into the atmosphere is that the people who breathe that air in are now animated by the one who controls the tanks. Right? It is the wind beneath their wings. Right? It's the breath that fills their nostrils. And it is not a breath, it's not a spirit that brings life, right? It is a dark, deadly, and destructive force. But we, Paul's saying, we, like, this is just what was. You, you took it for granted because that's what was there. You couldn't move it, you couldn't uh, turn it around. It's just the air that you breathed. So follow Paul's logic with me. This is what he's saying. He's saying people who breathe this air are easily given to demonic purposes. That's the point of what he's saying. The people who breathe this air are easily given to demonic purposes. Okay, so let's move out of the realm of the metaphor and into the realm of the practical. Practically, what does it look like to breathe this air? He says in verse 3, Uh, The sons of disobedience were the ones who breathed this air. And then verse 3, it says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So we breathe the air, he says, by, by satisfying the passions of our flesh. Namely, this is feeding the things that we want, which God has made clear we ought not to have. So uh, I have the privilege to be able to do some sermon preparation with other pastors in our community from other local churches. And uh, one of the guys in the group, he used to be a youth pastor, and he uh, used kind of this uh, understanding. He, he shared it with us, and it's really helpful for grasping exactly what it means that uh, we have this uh, broken uh, body and broken mind. Like the desires of the mind and the desires of the body are broken. This is what he said. He said, hey, our wanter, our feeler, our thinker, and our chooser are all broken. That is the reality of sin. All of those things have been damaged and are uh, turned inward on us. And so when Paul, when he separates and he says, hey, uh, separates the desires of the mind and the desires of the body... This is what he's doing. He's making distinctions. He's helping us understand kind of the full scope of the brokenness of our desires. So with the body, our, our, our wanter and our feeler, that's, the, that's the, the brokenness of the body, right? Our wanter and our feeler. These things are naturally corrupted in such a way that disobedience often feels better to us than obedience does. Right? And that you know, how we want things that we are told that we ought not to have. And sometimes we want those things simply because we're told that we ought not to have them. Right? Our wanter and our feeler are broken. So what does this result in? Well, we uh, get anxiety that paralyzes us. We end up with lust that leads us to objectify others. 
We engage in entertainment and distraction that lulls us into apathy. We have hunger that produces craving, that produces overindulgence. Right? This is the brokenness of our wanter and our feeler. This is the brokenness of our body. But then it, he says that the air, while it appeals uh, to bringing relief to those impulses, he says it also appeals to the mind. With the mind, this is our thinker and our chooser, right? Um, and Paul's saying, hey, those things are also naturally corrupted in such a way that you know what we will do? We will come up with ideas in our head and say, hey, we've ascended the desires of the body. We have these ideas. And you know what those ideas often do? They often provide us ways of justifying us getting the things that we want. Right? Helping us think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And we will make decisions and apparently choose things that seem like rational choices to us. And it turns out that those decisions have nothing to do with truth or rationality. But they're just grounded in our desires. So think of this like, how could the mind be broken? Well, you know, we could give ourselves to pursuit of career or the touting of accomplishment or title or credential or intellectual, philosophical debate where we try to prove how smart we are and how good our ideas are or performative religious tradition or a sense of moral superiority, right? In all of these ways... Right, the, the air is appealing to bring relief to those impulses as well. Right, so the one who controls the air tanks is just pumping out air to satisfy these parts of us in their corruption and also to drive the corruption deeper. That's what he's seeking to do. So uh, it's not just Paul that says this, by the way. The, the Apostle John picks up on the same sort of thing. 1 John 2.16 says this. He says... For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. Right? That stuff is the toxic gas that is getting pumped out. So think, think of all of the, the different air tanks that we have that, that push out cultural air. We could have a business, right? You could have entertainment, Art, news, uh, just conversation, dialogue, education, experiences, politics. Like all of these different things, they're all air tanks. And I want you to know that they're containers. Right? They're not good or bad. The things that I just named are not necessarily good or bad. What's, what matters is what's inside the air tanks. The content what kind of air are they going to be pushing out into the cultural atmosphere? So Paul is saying that the ruler of the air, he has been using these tanks to push out things which appeal to the desires of the flesh and the desires of the mind. So that was the context of Ephesus, right? Pastor Don, uh, he took us through a different part of the book of Ephesians last week, and he told us about Ephesus. Do you know what was in the middle of Ephesus? The temple of Artemis. The temple of Artemis was the center of the cultural life of Ephesus. And do you know what you could find at the temple of Artemis? You could find male and female temple prostitutes. 
You could find temple sensuality parties. You could find the finest meats of animals that are sacrificed to the goddess Artemis. You could find great opportunity for wealth and business venture there. You could find entertainment and philosophy to engage you in the amphitheaters. And all of that influenced the work and the conversation and the day-to-day interactions of the Ephesians. Right? It produced the cultural air that people were breathing. It appealed to their wanters and their feelers and their thinkers and their choosers. And that's what's happening today too, right? Except, this is very interesting, over time the prince of the power of the air has gotten more uh, crafty or has honed his craft. Because unlike the Ephesians, like most people have direct access to every single one of those air tanks that I named through a rectangle in their pocket. Like every air tank, oh yeah, you see my daughter on there, that's good. Every air tank can connect directly to you through this thing. And you know what you can do? You can stick it in your face like this and breathe it in like a gas mask. Like it's just there all the time. We can breathe deeply from the cultural air that exists. So I want you to note two things about the air with me from this passage. The first thing to note about the air is that it can never give life. It it might pretend to bring life, but it is unable to give life. The second thing to note about the air is that it will multiply destruction. And the one who oversees the air tanks is crafty. Because get this, as, as we begin to understand the extent of maybe one kind of destruction that is out there in the air, you know what happens is that the air is then quick to give us an alternative pathway to what we might think is salvation from that bad kind of air. Right, so we see one thing that's destructive over here. We see, oh, but the air is offering us this over here. This could be a pathway out of the destruction. But when you pursue that pathway, oftentimes, if you pursue it long enough and hard enough, it will lead to a deeper level of destruction. So every sense of salvation that the air offers, it might pretend to be salvation, but at the end of the day, it's just another pathway to death. So then verse 3 says this. Again, talking about the, the sons of disobedience among whom we all lived. Clarifying once again, saying that we were by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. So as we breathe the air, we are given over to it. Meaning that we find more and numerous extreme ways to solidify ourselves into our opposition against God. That's what the air is doing. It is just continually solidifying us deeper and deeper into opposition against God. And the result of being animated by this air, Paul says, is that we become children of wrath, enemies opposed to God. So what do we do? You can't do anything about the air. I could, like... If I wanted to move the oxygen out of this room, I I could not grab it. I could not move it. I can't do anything with it. It's just there. 
What do you do when the air is there and you don't have any other choice but to breathe it? If there is only toxic, life-depleting, deadly air, how is it possible that anyone can survive? So I want to ask you, every person on that airplane that I mentioned earlier, they all were alive. Why are they living? Does anybody know? Why, did they, why are they living? They grabbed the mask that fell down from the ceiling. Like, that's the, that's the only way that you get the oxygen that you need. Like, if that, if that trigger didn't go off on that plane, it would be a real problem. But they really have honed that trigger in to make sure that it works when it needs to work. So that from the ceiling flows a different kind of air. A different source of air. So read with me the two best words in all of Scripture. Ephesians 2, 4. But God. But God. So we can't do anything about the air. But God, he's got something to do about it. So verse 4 says, but God being rich in mercy. Being concerned about the plight of people who have solidified themselves in opposition against him. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved those people who opposed him, with which he loved us. Verse 5 Even, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What he's saying, if you're a believer in Jesus, God did not let your opposition against him get in his way of his salvation of you. Right? He breathed a different air into your lungs. He resuscitated you. And then you know what he did? He said, he seated us with him in the heavenly places. Here's what's very interesting in the book of Ephesians. The air and the heavenly places, in Paul's mind, they're all the heavenly places. But the heavenly places where Jesus sits are higher than the air. What Paul is saying is that he has taken you and lifted you up above the smog where all there is is dead air to breathe. He has given you a different place where you can breathe heavenly air. You can breathe the air that God supplies. So that even while you walk through this smog, you actually right now have the access, direct access to air that comes from a different source. So read how he wraps up chapter 2 with me. We're skipping way down in chapter 2. All the way to the end of chapter 2 in verse 22, it says this. In him... You also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the pneuma. The spirit, the breath, the wind beneath your wings. He's saying, Christian, there is a different wind. There is a different air. There is a different breath that animates you now. There's a different animating spirit. Like the solution to overcoming the air of this world is not to search for better air tanks at other places in the world. Right? It is to breathe air from the only being who has ever brought anything to life. That's the only solution. 
So uh, he keeps carrying on this idea throughout the rest of his book, but I just want you to read one place with me. In Ephesians 3, 14 through 17, he says this. He says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his breath, his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, would continue on in these things. So, when you trust Jesus, you get access to a life-giving wind, a new breath. Jesus, with his blood, covers every impurity of yours and then makes it possible, because he covered over your impurity, to put his very presence inside of you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? There's no power in this world to bring life and to bring joy and to empower the things that Jesus wants to do, but there is power in his breath. He puts Holy Spirit inside of you and produces spiritual life in your inner being from the inside out. Paul's saying, hey, don't go running for other air tanks. Like, don't go trying to breathe air in other places. As you get dissatisfied with one part, don't keep running to another part. Your power is not going to come from there. This world has no solutions for you. You have one place to go. The breath of God himself living in you. So what? So what? Number one. What air are you breathing? If you're here this morning and you don't believe in Jesus, or if you're watching online and you don't believe in Jesus... Right? I want to tell you, any pursuit of life apart from Jesus, whether it's having a nice career, family, or trying on your own to be a good person, or seeking after new experiences, right? those things might give you the illusion that they have life, but they cannot reconcile you to God. They cannot make you right with God. Right? Those things cannot overcome you prioritizing your own desires above the things that God wants. They're not powerful to do that. They have no power to bring you the disconnection, like to recover the disconnection that you suffered when you chose your way instead of God's way. Right? Like chief among the issues with the air in this place is that it can only produce one thing in us. Enmity with God and death. Right? So the only way that you can breathe deeply of life, life that God has to offer, is to receive the salvation that God offers by grace alone. Right? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Right? He alone can give you the breath that brings life. So if you have not trusted Jesus and you want to know where life is, I want to tell you to trust Jesus and find life in him. If you're here this morning and you do believe in Jesus, I'm going to give us a warning. You can be lulled by demons into thinking that a few hits off of the old air tank keeps life interesting, right? So you can 
take that however literally you want to take it. (laughs) And so you respond to the beckoning of the air. And you indulge, and you feed impulse, and you distract. And you know what you do? You come back to the Lord. Right, you come back and you breathe deeply of his mercy. And I want to tell you, amen, keep doing that. Don't stop doing that. If you find yourself stumbling or you find yourself turning back to the world, the Lord has a, a, an endless repository of grace that he just wants to extend to you. Don't stop coming back to him. Right? He does not hold you far off. You are his child. But as you feed impulse... Right? The demon's goal is that he would keep you doing this or they would keep you doing this without realizing that there is another tactic at play. Right? The prince of the power of the air, you know what he knows? He knows that the most dangerous and disruptive force to the hold that he has on people is Christians who are filled with the Holy Spirit. He knows that. He's very aware of it. Christians who are full of the Holy Spirit, who are constantly repenting of sin, who are constantly living in Christ's freedom, who are exercising his gifts, who are sharing the benefits of his kingdom with those who are far from him. He knows that that is the most disruptive force to what he is attempting to do. And so he manufactures distraction and apathy and impulse to keep you cut off from the power that God intends to provide to you through his Holy Spirit for the accomplishing of his mission. So, so what, number two? I'm going to call you, Christian, to engage deeper spiritual rhythms. So how many of you in this room believe that the wind from heaven, that God, the Holy Spirit, that he, how many of you believe that he wants to do more through you than you have seen him do up to this point in your life? How many of you believe that he wants to do more through you than you have seen him do up to this point in your life? Gosh, I I would hope that every hand would be raised. Because he is not satisfied with you where you at. Like, now, don't hear me saying that. And he's like, as if he's like standing over you and condemning you or saying, kind of buck up, like get your act together. That's not what I'm trying to tell you. I'm trying to tell you that he has more that he wants to do through you, more power that he wants to extend through you. How many of you believe that God has a next phase of growth? and spirit-empowered ministry for you to do. Again, I would hope that every hand would be in the air. So I'm going to tell you something that um, our district superintendent um, for the Midwest District here in the Alliance, something that he has been reinforcing to all of the the pastors in the Midwest District. Right? God, God has a next stage of spirit-empowered ministry for all of us. Absolutely. The rhythms that got you here will not get you there. The rhythms that got you here will not get you there. Right, so I don't know what your spiritual rhythms look like 
But wherever you're at now, whatever power you're seeing now, whatever significance of work of the Holy Spirit that you're seeing now, you're seeing that because the rhythms have gotten you to where you're at right now. And whatever is next will require a different set of spiritual rhythms, will require different tools in the tool chest. So maybe, maybe it's like Bible reading and having a consistent Bible reading a plan and method. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's just a steady process of prayer. Maybe it's getting involved in corporate prayer somewhere. Maybe it's like more intensive Bible study. Maybe it's fasting, right? That you would learn to, to not only discipline your body, but to recognize that as we fast and as we give up one thing, we look to the Lord's supply on the other hand. Maybe it's solitude. There's always noise happening. That noise, it's stopping you from developing you into the person that you need to be. Maybe you need to get away from the noise. Maybe you have to have a consistent pattern of getting away from the noise. Intimacy. Just times of intimacy with the Father. Worship music, enjoying what he has given you and who he says you are. Maybe it's rest and Sabbath. I don't know what the rhythm is. Everybody's got a different set of rhythms. All I know is that whatever he's going to do with you requires a different set of rhythms than what you currently have. So this is what I want to tell you. I, you know, Maybe it's a daily rhythm, a weekly rhythm, a monthly rhythm, a yearly rhythm. All I want to tell you is like whatever I've said, you're like, okay, what do I do? That's a lot to think about and a lot of possibilities, right? I'm going to tell you this. Don't bite off more than you can chew. Like don't commit yourself to 15 things. But I'm going to ask you if you could change one thing to breathe more deeply of the air from heaven, what would it be? Right? And don't just take that question and be like, oh, good sermon, pastor. See you next week. Right? <laughs> Think about it. Pray about it. If you could change one thing about your rhythms to breathe more deeply of the air from heaven, what would it be? Right? And if you don't know right now, if it's not clear to you, ask the Lord, right? Set some time to figure it out. Commit to it and then do it so that Holy Spirit-empowered ministry could start breaking out all over the place. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, I am convinced of our need for one thing, and that is to be grounded in our identity with you by the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us. We, we need the work that Holy Spirit does. Holy Spirit, we need you inside of us, testifying to us of who we are in Christ, reminding us of the identity that is ours, that uh, because of who we are in Christ, that we actually now stand above the spiritual forces of this present darkness. Lord, we need you to do all of those identity things inside of us, but we recognize the things that you've called us to, Lord, they are nothing that we can manufacture. Gosh, we could play music and we could uh, open Bible and we could say words, and yes, those are all important things, but the thing that we need is the breath, the wind from heaven to bring life 
to empower us, to give us awareness of what every specific moment might need from you and how you might lead us to speak or to act in those various moments because there are people who are breathing in death and they don't know that the oxygen mask is hanging from the ceiling. So Lord, help us through your power to help them see what they can't see. Lord, we thank you for who you are and we thank you for the way that you have saved us, that you've breathed new air into our lungs, that you've given us life. We pray that you would direct our hearts towards that now as we enter into communion. We ask this in Jesus' name.